You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So I'm back at the White House today. That's right. I went there back in 98. It was not an official visit. You can probably read about it on TampaBay.com, but we talked about it on the podcast the other day. So I've been invited back along with the Buccaneers. They're coming to to celebrate or commemorate, I guess you would say, their Super Bowl 55 victory. Uh, as I do this podcast, my information, although not, conf- well, sort of confirmed, is that Tom Brady, yes, he will attend. Uh, that's the information I have, so we'll look forward to that and see if that actually occurs. But, yeah, it should be, a, uh, should be an eventful time up there in D.C. And uh, we, we got SEC Media Days going on. Dan Mullen uh, mentioned how great it was to see the Lightning celebrate in front of fans. He wants that same sort of enthusiasm at the, what, 95,000-seat swamp right next year at Florida? Yeah, however many uh, they can get in there. Of course, their second game is here in uh, Tampa at Raymond James Stadium against the USF. That's right, USF. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch, babe. USF starts Ouch, at Coach NC Scott. State. I don't know how that's going to go. But, yeah. hey, what an opportunity for USF. Second game of the season, take down the Gators. That'd be, that'd be something. But it, I imagine they'll get a pretty good gate out of that because there's no shortage of Gator fans here in Central Florida, that's for sure. Yeah, USF starts on the road at NC State, and then they get Florida at home. That's their first two games for Jeff Scott this season. And I gotta, that's got to feel like a home game for the Gators. There's so many Gator fans in, in all around the state, let alone Central Florida. So there might be more uh, orange and blue than green and gold in that, in that stadium, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I would imagine that would be the case. But hopefully there'll be a lot of green and gold in there. So, I mean, you, you don't want it to be kind of a sellout for Florida. So No, no, but, not but at all. But even the casual USF fans will want to go cheer them for this game. Absolutely, absolutely. It should be a fun, fun. game. So we got some great uh, mailbag questions today. Got a lot of them. We'll get to as many as we can. Maybe I'll keep my answers shorter than the usual 10 minutes or so <laughs> and uh, see how many we can knock down here. Let's go. All right. John will lead us off, and he says, let's go back in time to January in the NFC Championship. If Brady's three straight interceptions had led to the Bucks losing that game, would the offseason narrative included concerns about Brady and how it ended? Um, You know, Possibly. It may have. Um, you know, listen, as I was sitting there, I was thinking about the Super Bowl that he had won over Atlanta after trailing by 18 points. And I was thinking, well, wow, this could be the absolute reverse of this, an 18-point lead that he gives up in the second half because of three interceptions and, and look bad doing it, by the way. These these were not um, necessarily great decisions or great throws. So I, I think, you know, We've always said this, right? To the victor goes the spoils. I mean, even thinking back to that Super Bowl that Brady won, you know, there's a play that Julio Jones would have been part of Super Bowl lore had he had the Atlanta Falcons won. He made a third down catch that was spectacular to put them in field goal range. Now, we know that they wound up not kicking a field goal. They called a couple pass plays. They had a sack in there, I think, decided to punt the ball instead of trying a 50-something yarder. Um, and so that play is forgotten, right? What if David Tyree doesn't make the helmet catch? Uh, I mean, this is this is the way it is um, in championship games. You remember uh, the great plays. You remember the victors. You don't remember what happens um, had had it been the other side of the coin. But, 
Yeah, I, I don't know if concerns would have been a word because he still would have taken the Bucks to the title game, which which in some respects, if you go back to the you know the seven and five record, uh, probably wasn't expected at that point. But the goal was to win the division. They didn't win the division to get deep in the playoffs. The NFC Championship game is deep in the playoffs. I think they would have picked it up from there, but um, it was not a, a good half to say the very least. And those were the only three interceptions I think that Brady threw maybe one other one uh, in the postseason. So, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like when he when he ended his career with the Patriots on a pick six, you know, desperation sort of uh, last drive heave that got picked off near the end zone and run back. He looked like it was done. You know, he looked like he was done, right? Everybody in New England was saying, oh, that's it for Brady. Um, he can't play anymore, blah, blah, blah. And all he does is lead the Bucks to a Super Bowl at age 43. So you're always uh, – you know, as good as your last throw, as good as your last game. And as it turns out, the last game was pretty good for Tom. Three touchdowns in a Super Bowl and another victory, and he'll get his ring on Thursday. So all is forgiven, but uh, I would agree that that was a very shaky half that Brady played in Green Bay. All right, Brian asked, As much as I'm excited to see how Tom Brady progresses in year two of this offense in a proper offseason, I can't help but think that the side of the ball that is most likely to take a huge leap forward is the defense. Which side of the ball do you expect to improve more or regress? Well, I mean, I, I think that they both will improve. Um, I would agree that I think the defense is probably at this point as big a part or bigger part of the story than the offense. I mean, we know about all the weapons that are coming back. Um, what we saw, particularly with the start of the postseason um, after that Washington game, because they had their hands full for whatever reason with Taylor Heineke, Heineke um, but when when – you know, they got Devin White back, and he had missed a week because of COVID and was chomping at the bit, obviously, and was just on fire throughout the playoffs. Then you kind of saw, you know, when you can take down Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes in succession, right, you're playing some unbelievable defense. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but their, you know, their takeaway ratio was huge. And we saw Devin White on at least one side of many of those plays. Like, for example, he had, you know, the fumble recovery and an interception that sort of put the game away a little bit in New Orleans. Uh, He had another fumble recovery in Green Bay. Um, You know, you saw the defensive line come to life because of the return of Vita Vea, who should start the season healthy this year. Uh, Again, it's all predicated on health, but I think what we saw – was really some players uh, evolved to to potential stars, one of those being Sean Murphy Bunting. Now, it wasn't too many games before the postseason that Murphy Bunting did not look good against Atlanta. Uh, he got beat for a couple touchdowns, but he really turned it three interceptions in three postseason games uh, there in succession, uh, you know, is really something. And that's, that's big-time players at big-time moments uh, with those with those interceptions. So, I think him, Antoine Winfield Jr., I mean, you look at the youth of that secondary that's only going to get better. Carlton Davis, I think, was on his way to being a Pro Bowl player and then, you know, battled some injuries. And, and again, the health of the team is is paramount. But uh, overall, um, I do think third year, third season under Todd Bowles, who's as good a defensive coordinator as the game has had in years, yes, I, I, I would agree that the, the story of the 2000 and and 20 season was the offense, you know, and Brady and how it was going to work. Although, you know, understand this too. Brady has a year in the system. Brady has his weapons back 18 games or 17 games, at least in the regular season with Antonio Brown, instead of eight, um, a running back who can catch. 
you know, in uh, Giovanni Bernard. So there's a lot of upside on the offensive side. But to me, I would agree. I think the defense, because um, we saw it in the postseason, is what's going to carry this team um, as much as the offense will. All right, Les asked, how much playing time do you think Tom Brady gets in the preseason? No games last year had an effect on the offense early in the year, but he is 43 years old. Also, when Brady isn't playing, are we going to see a heavy dose of Kyle Trask with the first team? I don't know about the first team, but I, I you know, Tom Brady has has never been one to even play in the or preseason many times for New England. So, um, given his age, I I don't see any reason to put him in there. To be honest with you, I don't think he'll need the reps against the uh, you know game reps per se. Uh, if you did, you know, you'd have to be very careful. First of all, about who he played with, he would only play with the starting offensive line, and just just how much work you think or he thinks he needs, because you just you simply cannot expose him, um, you know, to game reps like that. Now, where Brady's going to benefit this year with respect to the preseason is it's going to include a game against the Tennessee Titans, but before that, the Bucks will scrimmage against the Titans for a couple of days, and those. You know, those kind of looks are even more valuable because, you know, you get the full speed um, sort of not, in, you know, have to read and react sort of anticipation because you're not going against your defense. And, and you know, there's other players that your offense has to contain and adjust to and, and, and battle against. But there's no hitting of the quarterback. There's no fear that um, unless some guy steps completely out of bounds um, that, you know, either either quarterback is going to actually get hurt. They're going to have the – you know, the orange jersey or whatever, non-contact jersey on. And so they'll get the same sort of looks against another team but won't be subjected to uh, to tackle football. And I think that's that's where you're at with Brady right now. I, there, I can't imagine that Bruce Arians will play him. Now watch that. Having said that, he'll play three quarters in the final game. But um, but I really, you know, he, he hasn't played in New England. I don't know, the last time he played a preseason game up there when he was with the Patriots. So... No, I don't expect um, to see him play much. And, and then it will be Blaine Gabbert, um, who they do like, who would be the first guy in, obviously, if something happened to Brady. Um, but Kyle Trask could get his reps. He'll probably not get them many with the starting team, but he'll get a few. All right, Scott asked, what are some of the under-the-radar stories you'll be watching for at training camp? All right, well, I don't know how under the radar they are because I think when you're taken in the first round, you're, you're very much on the radar. But we want to see, you know, and I know the Bucks do, what Joe Tryon's going to contribute. I mean, you know, this was a guy, had he not opted out in his final season there at Washington, would have probably been a top 10 pick. Um, as it stands, you know, uh, he didn't do much in the offseason. He was coming off sort of minor knee surgery, did participate in the rookie camp. Um, but but he has a tremendous upside in terms of, of his ability to rush the passer. I think he'll be in a rotation. You've obviously got JPP and Jack Barrett ahead of him, um, but those guys can't play every down, nor would you want them to at this age. So I, I really want, I'm anxious to see how Tryon will make an impact first uh, as a pass rusher, and then we know he's going to be a, a big help to them on special teams, which need help because they didn't cover kicks all that well a year ago. When you get a guy that big and that fast that runs the way he did, um, I think maybe uh, uh, that'll be something that improves them immediately. The running back battle is going to be one that's talked about a lot, and rightfully so. You know, Ronald Jones Jr., I, I still think, is, is their uh, preference for their starting running back, but it is going to be a competition. They cannot just um, hand it to one guy or the other, even though playoff Lenny Lombardi Lenny came on strong at the end of the season and he's re-signed. He still has to prove that he deserves the first reps. 
I think they will go to, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know that he's just going to be handed. I think it's going to go to Jones at first, and then we'll see how it goes. There's certainly room for both of them. But then also, how does uh, Giovanni Bernard fit into this thing? Is he is he merely a third down back? Is he just a guy who's going to be used in the receiving game? Or uh, can he elbow his way and take away some reps from one of those two starters? Uh, and then that's obviously going to affect Keyshawn Vaughn, who I've been told is one of the most improved players over the offseason. Now, maybe that's because he had the furthest to go, but you know, when you remember where Ronald Jones was in his 44 carries as a rookie to where he is now, uh, that's quite a leap, and, and maybe Vaughn makes that improvement. He spent a lot of time with Tom Brady in the offseason catching balls as well. O.J. Howard is back, so you think about the tight end position. What does Rob Gronkowski have left in his tank? Um, I've seen Rob a few times. I, I think he's actually seems to be in better Shape. Remember now, he came off the off the streets. He was retired, man, uh, and came right in and started playing football, and sort of got himself into football shape during the season. Now he's there, and I, I, when I saw him, he looked trim, he looked thin, um, looked like he was ready to go. So I think he'll enter training camp in a much better physical condition, adjusted to the heat and all of that. And then what does that do? You know, if Howard comes back, um, was off to a great start before the Achilles injury, but that's certainly something that he has to overcome both physically and mentally? Is he going to take uh, reps away again from Cam Brait because it was really Howard and Gronkowski to start last season? Um, that's sort of the way it went there. And then uh, one of the interesting rookies that I would watch is Jalen Darden. Uh, you know, their kick return game uh, left a little to be desired. Darden is an absolute, like, flyer. I mean, he can just he he, he can just run and is is going to be a guy that I think that Bruce Arians will use in certain offensive packages, ends arounds, jet sweeps, things like that because of his rare speed. Can also catch the ball, um, had a great year, led the nation in touchdowns in North Texas. So he's going to be somebody exciting to watch to see if he can grab um, some of those kick return jobs. All right, Tommy had asked about some position battles, and you talked about kick returning, but he asked specifically about uh, how do you think right guard will shake out? Well, it's interesting um, because Aaron Stinney came in and they didn't miss a beat. I mean, he did such a great job, you know, the the kid from James Madison stepping in really into the postseason. I mean, uh, it was a shame that Alex Kappa suffered uh, the broken ankle at Washington. Uh, tried to play on it, by the way, but just couldn't. Uh, but Kappa probably made the biggest improvement of any of the five starting offensive linemen a year ago before his injury. So, I mean, that's a real battle, and I don't know that it's, you know, I mean, listen, you know, you find a way, my experience, whether you're talking about, um, you know, whether you're talking about peewee football, high school football, pro football, college football, most teams want to get their best five offensive linemen on the field, regardless of position. Now, obviously, tackle and guard are two different positions, and not many guys can do both, but guard and center uh, is one that a lot of guys play. Um you know, with equal uh, effectiveness. So whether you're talking, you know, uh, uh, about the three interior positions, I, I think they're pretty solid with Tristan Wirfs at right tackle and Donovan Smith at left tackle. But um, everything else, you know, Ryan Jensen could get pushed a little bit. Um, certainly had a good year, but but there is some flexibility. And usually injuries take care of that, right? You usually don't go through a whole season unscathed on the offensive line. That's one of the reasons why they did pretty well a year ago. Uh, I know that Ali Marpet missed some time with a concussion. Uh, It's just good to have that depth uh, at the offensive line positions inside in particular. So uh, I I don't know that battle is the right thing. I mean, I would say it's Alex Kappa's job to lose, and I don't expect him to lose it. 
But if anything happens to him or anyone else on the interior line, I think they wouldn't hesitate at all uh, to play Aaron Stinney. All right, R-Dub asks, what are any likely Buccaneers salary cap or camp casualties? All right, let me let me say this, because this, this is not the norm because there usually are um, you know salary cap casualties. And, and look, maybe I'm mistaken here. You could always point to a guy like Cameron Brayton and say, well, you know, they have uh, a bunch of tight ends and, you know, Cameron makes pretty good coin this year. Um, I think it's somewhere around $6 million, depending on whether he renegotiates or they ask him to take a pay cut like they did a year ago. Uh, if O.J. Howard comes back strong, you still have Tanner Hudson. you got a number of guys you like along with Gronkowski. But but failing that, I, I think that Mike Greenberg – has as and Jason Light have done the work. I, I think that, that they have gotten these guys back under contract. They returned 22 starters. A lot of them are free agents. Um, they know what the salary cap is. They're up against it. There's no question about that. But they like all these guys on their football team. In other words, uh, they've done their negotiations. The negotiations have ended. And you never say never, obviously. I mean, if there's somebody that comes in and just knocks it out of the park, let, let's say, for example, and I'm not picking on this guy, but let's say that Ryan Jensen has a hamstring early in camp and um you know there's just no way that whoever they put at center is going to give his job up again you know whether that's the rookie Robert Hainsey or if that's uh, Stinney who shifts over or Marpet and they play Stinney at guard like whatever I mean could that happen yeah it could but you you know you're not going to mess with the depth at the offensive line position we saw what that did with the Chiefs a year ago so I really believe that this is one of those few years where they're okay with the salaries of all these guys. They're not looking anybody sideways going, hmm, yeah, his, his, his contract's not guaranteed, and if he, does, if he gets beat out by player A, then player B is gone. I don't see that. You know, I, I, They're paying a lot of money to Mike Evans, a lot of money to Chris Godwin, not as much money, um, obviously, to Antonio Brown and you know uh, some of the other receivers that they have. You know whether it's you know Tyler Johnson or um, really some of these other guys. So I, I don't see a, I don't see a situation where they're going to go. Hey, you know we're cutting Mike Evans. So I I, I really think this is a year where you're not going to see quote unquote cap casualties. Now, could you see a situation where a young guy really ex- excels and beats out the veteran who's making a little bit of money? Let Let's go back to the tight end position. Let's say Tanner Hudson just blows the, blows everybody away this year, and uh, you know they got. Uh, an embarrassment of riches at that position. They go, well, you know, Cameron Brate for what we're paying him, um, you know, he's not going to play that much. Uh, maybe we trade him. Maybe we do something like that because of the salary cap. But then you go back to last year and everything was great and Brate wasn't playing much at all, maybe 11 snaps a game. And then, uh-oh, here goes O.J. Howard to a season-ending Achilles. And that's how you can get yourself in trouble. I think you want as much depth. They're going for it, okay? This team is going for it, much like the Lightning did trying to go back-to-back, and they're going to keep uh, the, as many of the band together as they can. So I don't think this is the year that, that you start you know, cutting because of salary. I think all those decisions have been made, and at least for the veterans that are making coin, unless they just absolutely stink the place up, uh, they're football team. Joe asked, if the Bucks are undefeated late in the season, do you think they will go for it, or will they rest some starters? Well... You know, this is the age-old question. Um, how late in the season are we talking? If they already clinched the division and, and the home field advantage, I would say that, uh, you know, that would, that, would, that would begin the discussion of whether you want to risk injury. Here's what I know about all that situation. I mean, the last team to get close to going undefeated were the New England Patriots 
they lost in the Super Bowl to the Giants, but they were what seventeen and zero or eighteen and zero, I guess whatever it was, or trying to become eighteen. I don't remember what the record was, but they they didn't lose. They were sixteen and zero in the regular season um, until the Super Bowl. That was their only loss. So you know there was debate about it then, and they played everybody. And I think what happens is when you have a chance to do something that's never been done before. Uh, uh, you know, certainly the Miami Dolphins have done it, and they pop champagne every time the last team. Uh, that's undefeated loses, but um, I I think that that becomes the f- sort of a secondary focus. But it's so it's so out there that you can't ignore it. You know, you just you have to kind of go for it. And yeah, I if it came to that, I don't I don't see them quote unquote resting people. Now you don't play anybody that's that could risk further injury. If you've got a guy that's nicked up, um, and you know you're going to be in the playoffs, and you know you're the first seed because you're going for an undefeated record. Then you're not going to play that guy. You're going to try to you're going to try to accomplish your goal without subjecting somebody to to big time injury and losing them for the postseason. But if you're asking me if if they needed a win to go undefeated, would they would they sit Tom Brady? I'm going to say no. They're going to play Tom Brady. Um, they're going to try to do something special, and that's what that's what special teams do. And uh, I've seen I've seen it go the other way where it's wrapped up and Tony Dungy rested his starters and then they try to crank it back up the next week and those guys looked horrible they looked like they hadn't played in about three weeks and so uh you can get hurt by by doing that too football's a game of injuries it's it's inherent to the game play to win every game and herm edwards says and I, I just think that you know that that's what they'll do with an eye on not risking anybody who who could make an injury worse by going out there when they need them for the postseason. So there's always a caveat to everything, but rest assured when the, the undefeated discussion happens, there's a lot of pressure to go get that go get that record. Ellis asked, which of the following is most likely to occur in the upcoming Bucks season? Mike Evans gets his eighth one thousand yard season. Devin White is named defensive player of the year, or Tristan Wirfs is named an all pro tackle. That is an outstanding question. Who sent that one in? Ellis, who Ellis, you is ask a frequent great uh, contributor. Yeah, he asks great questions. Um, we should have a poll on this one. I, I think that, look, I, I'm not going to bet against Mike Evans. He's done it seven straight times. I think he'll get eight. I think they make sure he gets eight. Having said that, he barely got eight. La- he barely got 1,000 yards last season. If you recall, um, it happened in a game that he hyperextended his knee. He had just broken the record. Uh, in that final regular season game, and the reason is that that's probably one of you know uh, one of the less unlike you know more unlikely things is just simply because there's so many receivers on the roster this year, including Antonio Brown, who is not here for eight games. He's here for 17 games. I think that makes a difference. You know, Chris Godwin's a franchise player. They're not going to ignore him. Slot position gets a lot of footballs. Uh, you can't forget about Scotty Miller, who's an absolute deep threat and, and takes the top off the, the offense all the time when he gets in there. He's probably going to see the football. Um, you got Tyler Johnson. You got other guys as well. Uh, not to mention the tight ends are going to occupy a lot of a lot of receptions and a running back this year that they didn't have a year ago that they're going to be throwing to in Giovanni Bernard. So Mike Evans might see his targets go down, and therefore uh, he's unselfish like that. He wants to win first and foremost. He does want the record. He doesn't shy away from that. He has the record. He'd like to expand it. Um, but I think that that's always going to be tough on a team with so many weapons. Um, Devin White, I think, has as good a shot at defensive player of the year of anybody in the league if he stays healthy. I think you know he's going to be an absolute superstar uh, in the vein of a Ray Lewis type for the Bucks. 
So uh, could this be his breakout season? Yes, but that, that voting is always, you know, somewhat hard to predict because it's done by writers and, uh, you know, certain regions of the country seem to have uh, biases, uh, whether it's big market, this is still a small market team, but all the all the national TV games and what he did in the postseason last year in the Super Bowl, I think will help him to that end. Tristan Wirfs, I think, uh, should be all pro. Now, when you say all pro, that's different than pro bowl. All pro they pick one player from each position, both in the AFC and the NFC, and just designate them as an all-pro. I don't know that he makes first-team all-pro. He should. I think he's that good. He gave up one sack a year ago, got snubbed for no reason from the Pro Bowl, should have absolutely made it. I think he's the best right tackle in football right now, um, which is high praise, but I mean that. So uh, a lot easier to make all-pro maybe than defensive player of the year. And Mike Evans, who has done this seven straight years, you wonder if he can do it in eighth simply because there's just more weapons and more targets for um, Tom Brady than there were a year ago. Injuries is always a factor as well. And even though Mike didn't miss games, he played hurt a lot. So, um, I, you know, he wanted to know what was most likely. I would say Tristan Wirfs being all pro. All right, Jeremiah asked, any chance that the Bucks re-signed Gerald McCoy? Ho- was hoping he would get a chance to return home. Well, when you say chance, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And when I mean that, I mean by, by training camp, certainly. I mean, Gerald McCoy has signed with no one. And part of that, you know, I've talked to his agent, Ben Dogra, several times over the off season. Most teams have just been monitoring Jared, Gerald McCoy because he's coming off a, very, a fairly serious quad injury that he had with the Cowboys in training camp a year ago. It's taken him a long time. He's made tremendous progress. I don't know where he is in terms of being ready to play. I do think he'll be ready by the time uh, the regular season starts, maybe even by the time training camp begins. But the fact of the matter is he's on the outside looking in right now. And it may take a training camp injury for a team to reach and say, hey, there's a Gerald McCoy out there. Let's bring him in. Let's see how he feels physically. Let's give him a physical. Um, let's, you know, and, and I know Gerald. Gerald is not done playing football. I mean, um, sometimes the game tells you when you're done. But Gerald feels like he has more football in him. He knows how to prepare. He's prepared before. He knows those markers and benchmarks he has to make uh, in order to play this game at a high level. He's not going to embarrass himself. So I think Gerald is preparing to play. I I don't know that he'll have a job by the start of training camp anywhere. It would surprise me if he's not in the NFL sometime this year. I don't think it's going to be the Bucs. Um, you know, with what – sort of with what – Todd Bowles does on defense. Uh, not that Joe can't play in any any defense because he can, but he really likes a, a bigger body, a space eating type body inside next to Vita Vea uh, to allow those outside linebackers. And I guess you could argue, well, Gerald maybe could play outside linebacker with his quick first step, um, but he's always played inside three technique that sort of thing. So I, I I know he can play in any defense. I don't know that he fits as perfect in this defense, which is why. They went with Ndamukong Sue, a bigger, bigger body, instead of Gerald McCoy. And the same situation applies now. So I, I, as much as I love Gerald, it's a shame that he didn't get to enjoy some of the fruits of his labor because he absolutely helped uh, begin to turn the culture around here. He couldn't hang in there long enough for Tom Brady to show up. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be a fit for Gerald in Tampa, although he would love it. All right, John asked, while keeping Chris Godwin seems like a serious goal for the Buccaneers, Tyler Johnson possesses many of the same skills and might eventually be a solid replacement. If Johnson gets his chance to show growth in 2021, does the urgency to compete for Godwin in free agency diminish? Well, 
um, those are big shoes to fill. And I like Tyler Johnson as much as anybody, and he made some absolutely huge catches last year. I don't know that they that they go to the NFC Championship game without the third down catch he made in New Orleans, which was spectacular and, and showed a lot of confidence by Tom Brady to go to him in that situation. I think Tyler does do a lot of things that Chris Godwin does. Um, he's He's physical. I don't know that he's the run blocker that Godwin is just yet. But listen, uh, there's no intentions on the Bucks' part to lose Chris Godwin. Uh, I don't know what he would have to do this year for them to change their mind about that, perhaps a significant injury. Um, but if he can have relatively good health, he's going to put up the numbers because of his position in this offense and his skill set. And so I know they have every intention of re-signing him. I think that Chris Godwin uh, really loves playing here, uh, playing for uh, BA, playing, uh, living in Tampa. He's become a big part of this community. You know, we've seen other, not that he's going to leave a ton of money on the table, but there'll be more money in the system under the salary cap a year from now with all the TV deals factoring in. So I, I don't, I don't expect the Bucks, no matter what, Ty, I just don't think Tyler Johnson would have that opportunity to show people so much that they would say, oh, well, we don't need Chris Godwin now. We have our new Chris Godwin. Um, you know, short of a, of a catastrophic injury where Johnson or uh, Chris Godwin missed most of the season, I don't think Johnson would get an opportunity to be on the field that much. So I don't think that's realistic. And, and if I had to predict Chris Godwin will be here, um, I got lots of faith in Tyler Johnson. But, you know, Godwin is a guy that they have developed and has uh, excelled every year. He's been in the NFL. So uh, no reason for him not to continue on that plane. So, so my answer would be no to that. I don't. I don't think that this is a year that Tyler Johnson could make them forget about Chris Godwin. All right, Adam asked, "Have you guys watched the In the Current series on the Bucks YouTube channel? I'm sure you have, but if you haven't, you need to ASAP. It's so good and cool to hear Rick in almost every episode. Would love to hear you guys discuss it sometimes. Cheers." Well, I have watched them all. I watched them in advance of writing a uh, a story about it, and those guys did a tremendous job over there with that segment. I mean, well, you know, they obviously put together an NFL Films-like production. It's that quality, and um, they have some camera angles and some things that, um, you know, we have not seen before. But what they did mostly was were the interviews after the season with players. And, and to me, that's where you gain some of the insights uh, whether it's Chris Godwin or Devin White or Tom Brady or Bruce Arians, uh, all those guys talking about individual games and plays and what they were thinking and, and sort of the mindset going into this game or that game. Um, so I have, I think it's a tremendous, uh, tremendous production. I think they're coming out with the last one. The Super Bowl uh, is this week. If you haven't had a chance to see it, it's going to be fantastic. And I look forward to, to that because I know they had a lot of access after the game. Uh, on the field and, and, you know, we've seen NFL films and, and their uh, representation of that. But, but uh, the in the current with the interviews in particular, um, after the fact, these guys talking about uh, those games is, is what's really interesting to me. So kudos to them. Uh, yeah, I'm in a lot of them because for better or worse, I get the first question almost every week. <laughs> so I ask the most duh ooh, question you can imagine, you know, whatever's happening, I'm going to ask it first. So, uh, that's just, I guess, a nod by the Bucks to, to my uh, longevity, seniority, or senality. I'm not sure which, but um, they uh, they choose to call on me first. But uh, you'll hear Greg Allman, you'll hear Jenna Lane, you'll hear all those reporters asking questions as well. And it's been it's been fun to uh, to watch. Uh, again, I think they do a tremendous job over there. It's been a big hit, and kudos to them for uh, for that production. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we got a couple questions on the Bucks Ring of Honor we'll get to at the end, based on our okay. discussions in last week. Yeah. But well, let's get some lightning and race questions in first. And Michael had asked, do you think that Steven Stamkos was asked to, to waive his no-move clause? No, I don't believe he was. Jillian Breezeball said he didn't ask. Now, yeah, and listen, um, I'll tell you why I think Julian is is telling the truth. It's, I mean, it's really hard unless unless you were to, unless you felt like you know we we do not want Steven Stamkos to be a part of our hockey team next year. Now that would be the only caveat to this. Like if you were just adamant that like there is no way. We want number 91 on our team. Um, in that scenario, maybe you would go to him and say, look, we don't see a place for you here anymore. First of all, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think he still does too much. I don't know what his health is. I would imagine that, that they think it's going to get better. We know he was injured at the end of the year. We know a lot of guys were really injured at the end of the year. Some of those injuries we've heard about, we haven't heard any specifics to Stamkos. Um, but we did see him be effective on the power play. We've seen him effective on face-offs. He contributed to this team in ways in the room that uh, we don't see every day, and he is the captain of this hockey team. When you go to Steven Stamkos and ask him that, it's over, okay? It's over. Even if he says no, what is he thinking? He's thinking you guys are moving on, right? So you're really not asking, you're telling him at that point. Now, can he refuse it? Yeah, he can do all that stuff. Um, but you better be prepared for the fallout, you know, because other players are going to look at that and, you know, then Victor Hedman's going to say, well, then one day they'll tell me the same thing. Or Kucherov's going to say, yeah, that's going to be me one day too. I think a lot of this, it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard with superstar athletes, you know. Um, If you still think they can contribute, even though he occupies a good part of the salary cap, uh, you don't have that conversation unless you're ready to cut ties. You know, it, it... and it happened with Derek Brooks, and it was it was tragic. Um, you know, there was almost no warning. Derek would have liked to have stayed and mentor some younger players, even if he wasn't going to be the starter. You know, but uh, they merely just said, "We're done. We're moving on." Uh, John Lynch failed a physical. You know, Warren Sapp uh, left, and as I think, as a free agent, and went to the Raiders. I mean, it it does come for all of us uh, in the game if you're a superstar. But I think. I think it, with Stamkos, you couldn't have that conversation unless you were absolutely resolute, uh, going to move on from him because the hurt feelings, um, it's too big of a deal organizationally. And they didn't reach that. And I believe that they didn't reach that point. Were there discussions about it internally? Absolutely. Um, could they have asked Stamkos what his plans were? Yeah, they could have. But at the end of the day, they decided it was not the time um, to present that to Steven Stamkos because I think it means you're done. And they're not done. So, no, I, I don't believe that uh, that they had that conversation with him. Well, Paul had asked. He says, we learned about injuries to McDonough and Hedman and Kucherov and Kalorn, but nothing about Stamkos. What was his injury? And can you speculate on why we haven't heard more from the Lightning about it? More importantly, we all love Stammer, but given the rapid drop-off in his play, can you imagine the Lightning keeping a player 
who's a poor defender and has already become effectively invisible on five-on-five situations for the next years, three years on a $9 million contract. He's an incredible leader, but is that enough? Hard decisions ahead. Yeah, I don't know about the three years, but I think, like I said, uh, refer to my previous answer, I think they're going to keep him for this year. Um, why we haven't heard, can I speculate? Uh, probably haven't heard because he's not wanting the information to be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know that the other guys did either, but you know, to me, there's a difference between, hey, a guy broke his hand. Hey, a guy who had a cracked rib. Hey, a guy, you know, whatever Stamkos is dealing with is something Stamkos is dealing with. And um, it might be related to his previous injuries or it may not be at all. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't think at the end of a season, you know, I mean, hell, during the, during the season, they, all they have to say is upper body or lower body. Do you really think they're going to be forthcoming at the end of a season unless the player wants that information out there, which he doesn't? Uh, again, he's at the end of his career, um, you know, isn't going to advertise all his ailments for good reason. It affects his value, not just with this team, but potentially others. Um, I'm not surprised. And I, and to speculate, my guess, Steve, you would know better than me, but I, I imagine it's related to some of his previous injuries, whether that's the core injury or something else. I don't know. They said it wasn't, but that doesn't necessarily mean it isn't. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't think it's the same injury, but could it have been right. a result of that? Very possible. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's very clear. They don't want whatever it is out. Because, no. not, you know, they were very specific on McDonough's injury and Goodrow yeah. and Kucherov and, and and Hedman, you know, all those injuries. But Stamkos, they didn't really – I mean, Julian didn't even really address it in his, in his uh, wrap-up postseason press conference. Mm-hmm. The other thing is when you put that out there, it affects the player's value. So let's say you get to a mm-hmm. point, or he does, that he wants to go someplace else. I mean, the more information out on here about his injuries or his you know litany of injuries or whatever – that doesn't help you, him, or the, you know, or anyone uh, to put that out there, especially at an older player. So, I'm not surprised. You know, um, the long the longevity in this game is is rare. It's hard, and you know, battling injuries is part of it. And these guys have a lot of pride, and they don't like to talk about them in general. Um, but certainly, they don't want to be specific. You know, at the end of a season, look, he 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 held the cup over his head. He was he was he was healthy enough to skate around and do that, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was the what he that was his goal, and he accomplished it. So, uh, from that standpoint, you know, uh, he got through the year. They won the cup, and he was the captain. Uh, I think, you know, he'd like to do that again. However, however that takes place, and so if he's healthy enough to do the same thing, he will. But yeah, I, I'm not surprised that we didn't hear uh, specifics about his injury at all. All right, a couple of Rays questions here, and Brian asks, the Rays have to pick up a frontline starter by the deadline to be competitive in October, correct? Well, I've been banging the drum for it. I mean, I, I like their pitching, but we saw the other day, I mean, Josh Fleming uh, got battled around pretty good, and, you know, outside of Rich Hill, I mean, I don't know. If he's your ace and you're going against, uh, you know, every team's ace in the National League or the American League, uh, to try to make it uh, through the World Series and then the National League to win the World Series, I just think you're you're outgunned if Rich Hill is your best. Um, and nothing against Rich Hill who's having a fantastic season and has been more than they could have ever hoped for. I, I just don't think you have that. Now, you know, Glass now, if he comes back, he might change that narrative. But I don't know that as you sit here in July, on the, ni- on the 19th or 20th of July, hoping that you're going to get Tyler Glass now back uh, to have any kind of length that he would give you starting a, a baseball game or starting a postseason game. I just don't think you can bank on that. So 
you know, again, it's it's risk reward. Uh, you're definitely going for it this year. You know, you're a half game out as we do this podcast in the American League East. Um, you're still a, still one of the favorites uh, to go deep in the playoffs, if not back to the ALCS. And you know, to do that, that means you got to sacrifice something to try to to try to get the World Series. I mean, their their whole thing was we want to go one step further. We want to go back to the World Series and win it this time. Okay, well. You've had too many injuries on, on the pitching staff. Your bullpen has been lights out, but I still think you need another starter. What are you willing to give up? Are you willing to, to give up some of your top prospects in, in the minor leagues for that? That's probably what the cost is going to be. And, you know, uh, there's some sellers out there, but it's got to match up. And I, I don't know that they'll be able to pull it off. I guarantee you they're looking. And, you know, maybe they they get a Chris Archer to come back and contribute. Maybe they get some of these other guys that would help them down the, down the stretch. But uh, for me, that to me would be their number one need. I'm not confident that their bats are going to be good enough either. Uh, but it's, I think it's a lot harder maybe to find somebody. Uh, you, you just got to get some guys going like a Rosarina and some of those other guys that aren't hitting right now. I think it's going to be a lot harder to find a bat and find a way to put him and get him at bats in the lineup than it is to find a frontline starter. Because right now, you know, you've really got, what, one or you know, two guys, maybe three, um, that you would consider, you know, rotational guys right now anyway. So there's room for them, and I, I, I hope they do it, but it's got to take – it takes two. You know, you got to have somebody willing to give one up. Well, Craig asked about some of those hitters, and he says, the Rays have a ton of the same players hitting around 200 to 250, no one much higher than Joey Wendell at 280, and soon too many pen arms like Diego Castillo who didn't throw last weekend. Which players can the Rays move to bolster the starting rotation or the lineup? Wow. Great question. I mean, if you're talking about guys that are on the 25-man right now, that's a different conversation. Um, if you're not just talking about minor league prospects, which you 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 know, you'd probably be more inclined to give up, I guess. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Is 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 Brendan Lau somebody that they would consider trading? Uh, you know, he's he's shown streaks of mm-hmm. of power, but he's leading him in home runs right now. He's leading him in home runs and are, and he's starting to really get hot. So you know, he can absolutely carry you for a month. Do you really want to take that bat out of the lineup? Um, you know, I don't think a Rosarena is going any place. I mean, what, are, who are we talking about? Um, you've traded Adamas already. Uh, Joey Wendell, I think is too valuable. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. Yandy Diaz. Got, I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer, would you sacrifice his defense if somebody really wanted him? But I don't mm-hmm. know who would want him for a stretch run, but that would be one place you would look as the outfield. Yanni Diaz, uh, like you mentioned, uh, might be one, but there's not, there's not too many guys that are just, you know, Hey, you know, this guy's available. We're not using him. Take him. Well, I, I think mean, Brendan Lau's an interesting one because you're seeing him being used in the outfield a lot more now because yeah. of Wander Franco and Vidal Brujan and, and Taylor Walls and wanting to get those guys more time at, at bats, yeah. You know, more at bats and more time in the field. So you're seeing Brendan Lau play out of position in the outfield. Right. And, and you know, that kind of hurts your defense a little bit, too. So. But he is leading your team in home runs as well, and it's starting to heat up. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting dilemma of what they may do. And, it, and a lot of it just depends on what you're going to get back if you get rid of someone. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, that's all that's all part of the equation. But I, but I, you know, look, are there many untouchables on this baseball team? No. I don't think there's many. I mean, you're not going to trade Wander Franco. You're probably not going to trade some of your younger players. Your I don't know stars. if there's anybody that's untouchable. But I don't – yeah, I mean, who would it be? I mean, I wander Rose- Franco. I'll give you Wander. Um, maybe a Rosarena if you haven't given up on him. I mean, he, you know, Maybe Glass now. Tyler Glass now, I would definitely say, is one. But yeah. they traded Blake Snell, so 
Well, would you pray? Would you trade an Austin Meadows who leads your team in RBIs? Well, depends on who you're talking about. Who you know? Mm-hmm. Who is it? Who are we getting back? And for how long? Are you renting a player? You know, that's the other equation too. Are we getting a guy for multiple years, or are we just renting him for the postseason? Um, that determines value too. You know, or can you sign this guy to a long term deal if you get him in here? So, all that's a factor. But yeah, I don't. I don't know that they. You're right. That's a great comment. I'm not sure there are many untouchables on this baseball team. Go Snarf asked, it looks like the Rays won the recent Padres trade. Snell has a 5-2-1 ERA. Francisco Mejia has hit for the Rays. Patino has shown upside. And free agent Rich Hill is giving the Rays a lot more than Snell at a fraction of the cost. Another trade that the Rays won? Well, so far, although I think you might, you know, let's let's wait until the game plays itself out because I think you might see the Padres, uh, you know, go deep into the playoffs, if not the World Series. So if Blake Snell's, you know, pitching a shutout uh, and wins a game in the World Series, you might think differently. But I don't think you'll see them take him out in the sixth inning. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, is is Snell pitching the way that the Padres had hoped? Absolutely not. I mean, he said it a few weeks ago, I suck right now and it's not fun or something like that. Um, and, you know, even going back before that, there weren't – and I know the Rays have their way about them when it comes to the third time around the lineup and all that – but there just weren't many games that he, you know, survived, uh, should have survived in the World Series, but survived past past the sixth inning anyway. He wasn't a guy that was getting deep into games um, for the last couple of years for various reasons. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, listen, uh, the Rays are rarely wrong about things, um, and, and they don't have a crystal ball or anything. Now, you know, Blake Snell could be lights out in the last two months of the season in the the playoffs and World Series and the whole narrative changes. Uh, He's an outstanding pitcher. So his season is not over, but it's certainly not the one that he had hoped for or the the Padres. But on the other hand, I I think what they got in return was was pretty good. Um, You know, and it still remains to be seen. Some of those guys are still working their way up into the majors like Patino and those. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But at the end of the day, yeah, I – I'd feel pretty good about what the Rays did. Um, although, if you had a Blake Snell, you could absolutely say, well, you know, he's one of our three starters and he can go up against some other team's ace and win. Um, I still think they would have confidence in him in doing that. Understand this, too. Like, Blake Snell is not with the same baseball team. There's a lot of change involved, a lot of pressure involved with going to a new team. Um, it, you know, maybe it's not built on pitching and defense the way the Rays were. Uh, who knows, you know exactly how that's gone. I haven't watched every Padres game. They bashed their way through a lot of games. I don't know what kind of defense they play. Um, you know, who knows what's affecting Blake Snell right now, but um, those numbers are not Blake are not the numbers that, that the Padres expected when they got Blake Snell. I know that. All right, Eric asked, wondered our thoughts on the USF president stepping down as well as what it will take for the city of Tampa to accept USF as its home team. I'll be honest, I know nothing about why he's stepping down after just two years. I guess I saw where he was retiring. He said he wants to spend more time with his family and that. I think he's still going to teach a few classes. Uh, yeah. at, we all campus, say that. Yeah, We all want to spend more time with our family, mm-hmm. and then we get another job. Um, how many times has Urban Meyer said he wants to spend more time with his family? That was about three jobs ago. So I, I don't know uh, uh, his situation, and I wish him well in his retirement or whatever that has to do. As far as the city adopting USF, um, listen, it's a relatively very, very young program. I mean, in the timeline of college football, it's still an adolescent. And, you know, when you talk about programs like the University of Florida and the massive alumni they have in this state, 
uh, you know, over a hundred years uh, worth of it. And then, you know, uh, the program they put together up there, Florida State, Miami, UCF now uh, coming on as well. Uh, there's just a lot of, you know, other fan bases in and around Central Florida in particular, you know, right here in, in Tampa. So uh, it's difficult. You have to have success. Is a chicken and egg thing? You know, it is, does the following come and then the success? Or do you have to win and then you get the following? I mean, you know, it, it, it's all there. But, I, I mean, I like where they're headed now as a program. Um, it's going to take, you know, time with a new head coach that had a rough first year. Um, but I, I don't know that, you know, I, I think it's unrealistic to think that, and we see the stories in this market or any market in the state of Florida, that, that mm-hmm. anyone's going to top the University of Florida unless it's in Tallahassee with Florida State, Miami, University of Miami perhaps. But, like, at the end of the day, like, there's a ton of Gator fans in Miami. There's a ton of Gator fans in, in the Panhandle. There's a ton of Gator fans mm-hmm. in Central Florida. Um, you know, that university is, you know, is massive with his alumni. So really difficult sell. Um, well, there, there's this. another thing at work, too, in that you're in a town with three pro sports teams mm-hmm. where if you're not winning, you're not covered. You're committing. You're, you're competing with the yeah. sports dollar, That's and right. you're com- and you're competing against a pro football team, which mm-hmm. is going to dominate you. And and you know this isn't Gainesville, or That's Tuscaloosa, right, Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. or Auburn, Alabama, or Athens, mm-hmm. Georgia, where everything in that town revolves around your university. Correct. When you're in a big city, and and I went to a school like this, you University of Cincinnati. Cincinnati, same you know, thing. Where yeah. you, the the Bengals are going to dominate. It takes yeah. years of winning, right. And the minute you start losing, they don't, you don't get covered anymore. You don't get talked about. But in Columbus, um, Ohio, what do they compete mm-hmm. against? The well, Blue Jackets, who are new. But yeah, but, but Ohio it. State's been there forever. I mean, that's no, that, I know that, that town still it doesn't revolve around Ohio State, but a lot of it does. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and Ohio State's still the dominant team in Cincinnati. Although the Bearcats, in the last you know fifteen twenty years, have have really grown a bigger fan base in Cincinnati because mm-hmm. they've had successful. They've been winning under. Coaches like Brian Kelly and uh, Tommy Tuberville wasn't good, but uh, Luke Fickle now and Mark D'Antonio before that and Butch Kelly uh, yeah. or uh, Butch Davis. Um, you know those coaches they were they were winning. They were had some undefeated seasons. They played you know, Florida in the Sugar Bowl one year and mm-hmm. and last year of course they they you know went to the Cotton Bowl. It takes years of winning, and that's just to get coverage really in a town because you've got. Three teams, and, and for USF right now, you've got three pro teams that are all winning and are mm-hmm. very successful. And, and USF last year had a miserable season. Now, I don't think that's Jeff Scott's fault or anything. I mean, I think he's. I think I like Jeff Scott, and I like where, the direction. I think this program can go under him, but it's going to take time. But it's hard to convert a fan base when, particularly when your pro teams are successful and your college isn't at this point. You mm-hmm. know, the last few years for USF have not been kind. Right. All right, everybody loves a winner, and I, you know, and and listen, there was a time. I mean, right now we're Champa Bay, right in this area with all the championships. But when the Bucks weren't going well, um, and the Lightning were kind of meandering along, uh, and the Rays were losing a hundred games, I can mm-hmm. remember, I can remember almost a sellout crowd against West Virginia at Raymond James. You know, that was the place to be that night. You know, mm-hmm. and everybody was there, and so. That's what it has to become. It has to become the place to be. And Even think it, back to the USF basketball team. Uh, what was it? Uh, right. It's been seven or eight years. No, it's been nine years ago now, something like that, when they went to the NCAA tournament. And, and 
Got a right. couple upsets and went to, ended up playing three games. They played in the playing game in that. And this town was abuzz with that stuff. I mean, people were supporting it and behind USF. Now, the basketball team hasn't really done anything since then. Um, right. You know, I, I think I think they've got some talent, and I think Brian Gregory's doing a good job right now. Um, you know, I think, you know, the transfers, it's going to be interesting what the team is this year because they lost a lot of players after their investigation into an assistant coach. But, you know, but it's it's in, in a town when you're when you when the, the town doesn't revolve around your school when you're in a big city, winning cures all that. And, mm-hmm. and it's consistent winning, not a year here, a year there. It's got to be consistently performing and doing well. All right, before we get to the Hall of Fame questions, the Ring of Honor, I should say, for the Bucks, one more comment from David. Eric Amarola, who's from Tampa, won the NASCAR race in New Hampshire this weekend. Is there any limit to the Tom Brady effect in Tampa Bay, or should we just expect to win at everything from now on? <laughs> I haven't found anything they can't win. I, I, I mean, the Home Run Derby contest put it over the top mm-hmm. for me. You know, I mean... You know, if you're from Tampa and you're not winning, then it's on you right now because there's nothing but good mojo around here. So, yeah, I would give it to Eric Amarola. Anybody who wins has to credit Brady, the Brady effect. If you don't believe me, go back uh, to his days, you know, in California as a high school player when the San Francisco 49ers were winning titles. Go to Michigan when uh, Detroit uh, was, you know, was certainly uh, in, in, in Michigan was winning then. And then New England with all the Boston Bruins and the Celtics. and they brought the Red, uh, the Sox, Red Sox, the World Sox, Series title. They went 100 years without winning a title. They won a couple with Brady there. I mean, I'm sorry, but the Tom Brady effect is real. You can fight it if you want to. It's better if you just go with the tide. It'll pull you under if you don't. Um, so, yeah, in, enjoy it and uh, for as long as it lasts because everybody gets swept up in it. And it's a good thing. You know, we're all benefiting from it, I think. And, um, you know. You you can try to resist, but it, you know facts are facts, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Brady makes everyone better. All right, we'll get to some uh, reaction to our shows last week talking about the Mount Rushmore of coaches in the Bucks Ring of Honor, and we'll start with this. Les had asked, listening to the podcast talking about the assistants who had great fame. First person he thought of besides Monty Kiffin was Don Zimmer. He was a baseball icon and lasted till his eighties. Yeah, I think that that's a good parallel. Although Zimmer had a much uh, longer career uh, in 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 you know Major League Baseball, I think, than Monty Kiffin had in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, Zim is is already, I think, in the Red Sox uh, Hall of Fame uh, for whatever that matters. Uh, I, I think did the Rays retire his number. They Steve? did the number sixty six, which is the years he spent yeah. in baseball. Yeah, which is really cool. So um, he's not he's not. You know, certainly his numbers as uh, either a coach uh, and or manager or player is is you know in in keeping with some of the credentials of Hall of, other Hall of Fame players. But that's a good that's a good assistant coach. I mean, I think you're right. It's not often that you see assistant coaches progress to the point of of being considered uh, in the team's Ring of Honor or Hall of Fame or whatever they call it at the time. And that's what I was saying about Monty. Um, I, you know, I was trying. I mean, back then, if you think of the coaches they had, I mean. Herm Edwards uh, for a while, um, you know, Lovey Smith, uh, Mike Tomlin, Rod Marinelli. The other guy I would say, uh, you know, who who has proven to be one of the, the best of, of his job, and he was such a big part of that Super Bowl team was Marinelli and that defensive line. He's been great everywhere he's been. Um, I know he's in his 70s now. He's still coaching with John Gruden and the Raiders. So that would be another guy that I would uh, I would suggest. But 
um, yeah, they were just illustrating the point that you just don't see a lot of rings of honor hall of fames that include assistant coaches. And Zim is in that category, which is really high praise for a guy like Monty Kiffin. So rich asked, how is Hardy Nickerson not in the ring of honor? I would also credit him along with Tony Dungy in changing the culture. Hardy absolutely did, and I think the players credit him. I know Dungy has. Um, the only thing I would say why, why maybe we don't think of Hardy that way is that he left before the Super Bowl, and he left as a free agent um, to go to Jacksonville, sort of chase the money, if you will. And they could have used him. I, I think there was a place for him here had he chosen you know, chose to stay. Um, Shelton Quarles ended up having to move to Mike Linebacker and, and was the Super Bowl linebacker, and, and so it was – bad timing on Hardy's part, but he, he chased the dollar. And, uh, I think when you do that, uh, the fan base sort of, you know, I, I don't know that I think you're forgotten a little bit, uh, because he wasn't here on that Super Bowl team. But I do remember when he came from the Pittsburgh Steelers, he was one of the first real free agents guys that have made the pro bowl to choose Tampa. And that was a big deal, you know, at the time. And those were really bad football teams that he joined, um, back in the early to mid mid nineties before Tony got here. And, um, you know, I, I know that he had an enormous impact on Derek Brooks. Um, Hardy was for years, the lone super or lone pro bowl representative of the bucks. And then Brooks came along, uh, they went to the pro bowl together. And then of course we know, uh, after that, what happened in 97, 99, those sort of things. Uh, again, I, ju- I just think that, that people are short sighted in, in remembering that, uh, that, that he meant so much to their development. I mean, all those guys, Sapp, uh, Brooks, Lynch, they all credit Hardy for teaching them how to practice, bringing intensity, all that. I think he's worthy of it. Um, again, what he plays, six, seven years, I have to go back and look, but I, I wouldn't uh, be opposed to that. Terry emailed us and said, if James Wilder had played for a decent team instead of the dreadful mid-'80s Bucks, we would not be talking about him as any uh, – would we not be talking about him as any team's Ring of Honor candidate? We would be scheduling trips to Canton to visit his bust in the Hall of Fame. The statistics he accumulated with an almost total lack of support with every defense keying on him because everyone knew he was going to get the ball are impressive. Could you imagine what he would have accomplished if he had a supporting cast? James Wilder stands alone as the obvious candidate for installation in the Ring of Honor. Yeah, and I think Wilder will get there. I mean, it's just got to go back to the old school. I just think there's so many players now that are coming up that were part of the Super Bowl era, whether it's Simeon Rice or others, that are going to be given consideration ahead of him. And, you know, um, the further we get away from those years, I think people forget how significant of a player he was for them. So uh, I'm not opposed to it. Again, we don't make those decisions. We don't lobby for them. Certainly it's up to the owners, but this ownership doesn't remember James Wilder. And in fact, most of the fans probably don't unless you're of a certain age. And um, that's unfortunate. But at a time when they didn't have much, they had him and he did it all, you know, carried the ball over 400 times. And, you know, um, he was just a workhorse back. But uh, again, I think, you know, a lot of the legacy has to do with winning. And, you know, for that reason, um, he's not thought of first and foremost, uh, for the ring of honor because his teams didn't win and it's not it's, it's a team game it's not an individual game you know barry sanders teams didn't win but you know he's in the pro football hall of fame now i'm comparing him to barry sanders but um i think that's what affects james and again i'll have to go back and look you know rushing average and all that stuff uh, i don't know what it, what it ended up being but i know he did an awful lot for those teams uh, as bad as they were he was all the offense they had at times 
Hey, we still have a couple more questions that uh, we couldn't get to. We'll pick those up on tomorrow's podcast. Plus, we'll talk about our visit to the White House later today with the Buccaneers as they uh, commemorate their Super Bowl 55 victory with the first visit of any Tampa Bay championship team to Washington, D.C. in the White House. And uh, they'll be greeted by President Joe Biden. So make sure you check us out for that tomorrow. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks for your questions. Have a great day, everybody. 